This is the story of a beautiful place known as the happiest place on earth. And all of its history, its secrets, and its tricks that you may find if your mind believes in design. And you allow your heart to believe in magic. Step inside and become a citizen of Disneyland. Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. Bricky here. Welcome back to Disneyland for Designers. Uh, this is episode 75. After two months off, I needed to take some time to sort of focus my attention elsewhere in my Disney content creating career. And I also wanted to sort of adjust the podcast. Uh, it takes a lot of energy to put together a podcast, to to book it, to have guests or research topics. In many ways, filming a YouTube video is much easier because you just go and stand next to something and there is your prop. And in the world of podcasting, you actually have to create uh, the information that you're going to lay out and talk to somebody. Well, at least if you want to do a good one. So to adjust Disneyland for Designers to make it easier for me to bring this show to you each and every Wednesday, I have brought on my good friend and Club 1313 member, Tony Mendez, to be the through line, to be my regular co-host. As you know, I started the show off with Jared when it was once a month. Jared's a very busy guy, and I didn't even dare ask him to do it once a week because I know he doesn't have that type of uh, bandwidth. So Tony will be on as the through line, uh, as my regular co-host, but don't worry, Jared will still show up. Philander will still show up. My buds from YouTube, various other people in the Disney universe will still show up, but Tony and I will always be here to start off the episode. And then in the event that there's an interview, Tony and I will always be here to create bonus content for members of club 1313.com, which is really the thing that I had to figure out. How do I keep doing the podcast? How do I bring new people here? But how do I keep making content for the people that are supporting all of my efforts. So Tony, welcome aboard. I'm so happy to have you. We've enjoyed talking Disney for years now. It's fun to do it in an official capacity. Yeah, I am so excited to be here. Thank you for this opportunity. Uh, you, sp- you sprung it on me while we were in Epcot. I was strung out on the magic as a long day. Yep. And uh, you asked me and I was like, I don't know. Like I just, I had the back of my head, like I didn't want because that was the other thing is obviously I'm a club 1313 member. I listen to the podcast religiously and I enjoy listening to Jared and, uh, you know, Philander and everything they have to say. So I was kind of worried. I was like, well, I don't know. Once I understood that I wasn't, that wasn't being replaced. Right. I was just, you know, in between, I said, yes, I'm all about that because let's face facts. I could talk to Disney all day, just like you can. So well, I'm that very was, happy. And that was the idea too, is that, you know, many of the people that I love to have on the show, they're just very, very busy. And the world has gone from zero to a hundred in just a few months. And I wanted to make sure that there was a, a way that I always had a, a bud that I could have as a through line for the conversation and a, a true co-host, like somebody to be there with, to talk about everything with. And then, you know, when we have, Jared or Philander or whoever on somebody to sort of break that down in the bonus content for members and really kind of dive even deeper because any conversation worth having is worth wrapping up and going further into. So let's start with the episode today. Uh, the The title is Why the Disney Community Turned on Bob Chapik. And there are a lot of different, I think, sort of obvious things that were against Bob before he even took off. One, whenever you take over leadership and you're replacing somebody who's very beloved, and Bob Iger is, I mean, what, maybe second to Walt Disney as far as leadership? Or no, third to Roy? It's obviously Walt's your number one. He's your go-to. He's Coach Taylor, if we want to compare this to Friday Night Lights. Number two would always be Roy, who literally came out of retirement and then put himself into a grave building his brother's vision with Walt Disney World, which I am so honored to now fully understand. And then, you know, you have Iger, who was a a bit of a dark horse, came in, did a lot of things that people were sort of suspect of, but he was really a man with vision. And I think that that right out of the gate was one of the things that Chapik had working against him that he was taking, you know, the spot of somebody that's so beloved. And then also, if we're just honest, Chapik doesn't have Josh Tomorrow rock star looks, and he definitely doesn't have a flashy 
personality. So there was three strikes out of the gate that, you know, with a, with a company and a brand like Disney, people want that rock star quality. They want that person that feels like, you know, like Walt felt like this like, sweet uncle or, or grandfather that was taking you on this magical adventure. Um, and Chapik just lacks in those categories. Yeah, he really does. And it's just one of those things where, like you said, the, the deck was kind of stacked against him from the beginning. But I feel like with Bob Iger, the way he left the company, he literally laid the groundwork for, okay, this is how we keep money flowing. This is how we keep people excited. We're going to throw money at new properties. We're going to throw money at the parks. We're going to do all these things to keep everything afloat and, and running once you know this regime chain, uh, change happens. And then the pandemic happened and obviously you can't fault him for that. And, sure. you know, uh, Bob sure. had, had to step back in for a little bit to kind of, you know, uh, take care of things. And, you know, Tony, I'm going to stop you. Yeah. I am going to blame Bob Chapik for the pandemic. I'm going to go further yeah. than any Disney fan. Cause right now he's getting blamed for everything. So I'm going to go further than any Disney fan has gone. I'm going to say Bob Chapik started COVID-19 breaking news. You heard it here first. I thought you were going to blame that on like a Knott's chicken sandwich. <laughs> yeah, that, That's, that's, that's a pretty good excuse. So yeah, like I feel like, he laid the groundwork. He, he kind of gave a roadmap uh, to Chapik. And then once he kind of got in place, uh, didn't really seem to follow any of that roadmap. He kind of just started doing what was best for the business and the, and the shareholders, which, hey, I understand it's a business. They're there to make money. Sure. Yeah, there's there's something there was some disconnect, I feel like, between the, the regime changes and how everything kind of shook out at the end of the day. Well, there's. You know, there's different forms of leadership. And, you know, unfortunately for Bob Chapik, I really think the first year that he could be judged would be January 1, 2025. Because 21, well, first off, 20, you throw that out the window because that's the, the pandemic year. And 21 is sort of a, we're making it up as we're going along year, like all hands on deck, everybody just trying to figure out everything as, as quickly and efficiently as possible. Like it's a save the day type of year. So 22 is going to be recovery as well. So I think that 23 will be the first real year where plans will be hatched that aren't so like, you know, catastrophe responsive that 24 will be the first year that those plans are really laid out. And, and don't forget like, Everything that a big company like this does, those plans are laid out before Chapik sits in the chair. It's like every president that comes in and runs the country, they take credit for everything good that's happening, even though a lot of that was laid before them, and they push everything bad happening off on the other person. And I'll even give you another example. A lot of times, if you're a network president, when your TV shows air, you're no longer the network president. So I say... January 25 would be when you would really know what Chapik's leadership is. I don't think he makes it to January 25. Yeah, man. Uh, the way things are going, uh, we're seeing petitions. We're, we're seeing a bit of an uproar. Yes. I feel like even with, uh, I believe, like Michael Eisner, like his reign was pretty long and he had a lot of bumps in the road. And, but he got a lot of stuff done. He but did. people very, look on that very negatively, right, Mark? They, yeah. That was not a fun time for a lot of people where I feel like this guy is just starting and it's already like that that level of outrage, if not higher, right now. So let's look at it this way. There are two different types of leaderships. And what I want to break down in today's episode is how the tides turned on Chapik so quickly. And there's... A lot of stuff that's going on right now in the Disney content universe, whether that's the blog that you read every week or every day, whether that's the podcast that you listen to once a week or bi-monthly like our show, uh, or whether it's one of the YouTube channels you pay attention to, outrage sells. Outrage gets people to show up. It makes people mad. And Disney fans are passionate people. And this is their happy place. This is where they create the best memories with their their family and their friends and their loved ones and their children. This is a sacred thing. And when there's that type of emotion, it is very easy to outrage people. So right now, Bob Chapik is the devil is a tagline that is selling. So I thought it would be 
what we do at Disneyland for designers to go behind the headline and break down how we got to this moment and really sort of craft out why this guy who may be a bad leader or who may not be, I still think that the verdict is out there, but how the tides turned on him. And maybe if you break it down this way, you can judge for yourself. Is he a bad leader or is he a uh, bad victim of circumstance and timing? And maybe it will also kind of help you deal with some of the things you're outraged about and maybe give you a skill set to recognize where some people are thriving right now on this negativity, getting you more fired up so that you keep watching and you keep clicking. So out of the gate, Tony, I want to start here. There's two different types of leaderships. Bob Iger is a spending leader, right? He believes in the idea it takes money to make money. And that is the type of leadership that people love because buying Star Wars from Lucas meant that more Star Wars would happen. I'm going to take this thing that you love, I'm going to spend a lot of money on it, and I can package it up and give you more of what you love. You know, Disney coming in and saying, Marvel, you're sitting on a treasure trove of IP. Let us take our resources and just franchise, franchise, franchise. And they did. They made the number one uh, grossing movie franchise of all time. Pixar, the merger of that technology, that storytelling with Disney. It was like they were the new Disney, buy out the competition, and now it all feels like it's supposed to. Creating immersive, expensive lands in the park. These are all things that we love. So when you spend money to make money, when you give your customers the things that they dream about, of course you're going to be popular. And Iger had the golden touch of knowing not what people want, but what they're going to need. They're going to need these lands. They're going to need these properties because people want a lot of silly things. But he was able to figure out what people needed for their, their media outlets, what they would need to make the streaming platform work. So he really figured out, like, I know fans will tell you that they want everything under the sun. But what do they really need and what do we need to build a bright future? So that's one form of leadership. But the other form to make money is cutting back. And that's what everybody hates, right? Like, think about it in your own life. Who do you want to hang out with? Your friend that is wild and loose with their money that's like, oh, dinner, I'm treating. Or the friend who you know has a ton of money and goes, I don't know, guys, let's go to the grocery and get some pasta and just stay at home and cook dinner tonight. I mean, Chapik's style of leadership is all, so far, is all based on scaling back. If we can pull back here, if we can squeeze in a margin where there wasn't one, we will make more money. Downside on Iger's version of spending is if you buy the wrong thing, you're going to lose your seat at the table. And he had efficiency on knowing what people needed, what people needed to feel the magic. The downside on what Chapik's doing is you can only scale back. You can only cut back so many times until there's nothing to cut back on anymore. And I think a lot of the outrage, we're now hitting a six-month review of Disneyland being open. Open on April 30th. October 30th is just our fingertips away. In six months, it has been scale back, scale back, scale back. Figure out a margin where one didn't exist. And the first couple, people will let you slide on. But when the news feed is the same thing over and over again, it goes from questionable to angry to now where we're at outrage in six quick months. I think the thing that's so disheartening is that right before the pandemic, there was announcement after announcement after announcement for the, the films, for the attractions, for the parks. Everything was just firing on all cylinders, right. especially Walt Disney World. There was so many lofty plans about, you know, Epcot is going to be massive in scope and just this fully realized thing and all this stuff. So it was like, you see all this, these news articles are like, oh man, they're going hard on, you know, making sure that the parks are going to be, you know, leveling up that, that, you know, the way that they should be. So I think that by seeing all that press 
And then slowly, one by one, you start to see those things, you know, go away or get ticked off or they uh, ticked off the, the box there and they're just like no longer in play. It is kind of a bummer. And you you can really see the differences between those two types of leadership. Yeah. And I think Bob Iger, um, he reminds me a lot too, like if you wanted to have another Disney Corporation analogy of a Kevin Feige. Mm. Kevin Feige has been the herald of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. His roadmap goes like, he's got like what, like movies for the next like 10 years, right? He's yeah. got everything mapped out. He knows everything that's going on. It's a it's a concrete plan and he's building and building and building and there's no end in sight. So that is very much within that Iger, you know, ideology of, you know, this is my vision. This is my scope. This is, these are all the things I want to do. We're going to spend and make these big, big things. And we're going to make them better, yeah. bigger and better. Yeah. Where Champic is just the, the complete opposite, even like with the the legal battle with Scarlett Johansson, stuff like that, like squabbles, like I little know. things. So I think I because we can see not only the headlines are starting to disappear, but we're also seeing these other negative headlines appear it's just a combination of like, okay, wow, you can really see exactly what you're talking about. There's the spending versus cutting corners aspect, and it's really uh, putting a, a dent in his image, I'd say. Yeah, and, and my other points are kind of, you know, talk about that difference in leadership. For example, customers hate when they feel like they're paying the more, paying more for the same service. And, you know, Fast pass is something that I've never really been a fan of. When it works, it's great. When it doesn't work, it's frustrating. And I'm admittedly, I'm not a rope dropper. I don't get to the park at 8 a.m. and stay till midnight. Even when I'm out on the East Coast, I just, I don't Disney that way. I'm a vibe chaser, not a ride crusher. Um, but there is a certain audience that they love the fast pass makes them feel like they're getting one over on the system. They're stealing time. And Hey man, everybody loves to steal time, especially when you're at Disney and you can feel like, you know, you're sitting in a cab in New York city where you're just watching the meter, just go up and up and up. You know, people want to get the most out of that. And I'm not going to totally blame all of like, you know, a paid fast pass system of genie plus on Disney because it does go, on the fans' shoulders as well. And I'll give you an example that I've laughed about on the live streams, but Disneyland hadn't even opened yet. We just knew that Disney was opened up on April 30th and people were already going, did they say anything about FastPass? And I just wanted to be, and excuse me for cursing, but I wanted to be like, asshole, you don't even know how busy the park is yet. Like you're literally already trying to cut a line that doesn't exist. And I think that that type of greediness is something that Disney's willing to exploit. So in my opinion with FastPass and Genie Plus, and I have an opinion that is not popular, I understand that, you have an audience that's always trying to get more because they love it. And then you have a corporation that goes, but how can we charge more? Because you love it. So I do feel like that is sort of, um, you know, the devil's in the details, be careful what you wish for. But when you look at a paid FastPass, of course that's going to make people angry because this is something that was free fast pass was free and now you could go up to the max pass and that was a paid upgrade well now it's all going to be a paid upgrade and then going to a la carte attractions it's just a whole other level of smacking you in the face i feel like it could kind of be this way if i were going to really park and talk about this i feel like either genie plus is missing a zero if it was $150 a day out in Walt Disney World or $200 a day uh, in Disneyland, then it would truly be a lightning lane. It would be fast. It would be efficient. And not everybody would do it. But going $15 and $20, they're trying to guess what amount of money are you willing to spend that you feel like is disposable money to have a better day. I say if you buy it, it's silly. I vote with my dollars. I do Disney content for a living. We didn't buy my wife a magic key. I don't do mobile food ordering. Like the things I don't like, I do not spend money on. And I think that Max Pass, Genie Plus, whatever you want to call it, I think that it's missing a zero. Or every attraction should go a la carte. You know, if you really want to ride something, there should be a price tag. 30 bucks to ride Rise of the Resistance. If you want to ride it right now, it's 30 bucks. 
that makes sense for somebody who's traveling in from out of town. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity to do it or somebody who just has more money than time. I, I'm not against them making money, but I think that the system they came up with, it's very penny pinching. It's, it's this much to get what you had. But if you want to go on the best rides, it's a little bit more money. And that money is market value. Like when you want to talk about making your customers angry, taking something that was once free or a set rate and breaking it apart into something that you almost feel like you have to be a physicist to understand exactly how the program works. It just feels like, hey, when you come to Disneyland, we're going to try to squeeze every nickel out of you. And that's going to rub everybody wrong. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing where, like you said before, that not it's not an even playing field the way that it's set up. And especially because you have people that are this is their one and only trip or this is their first time. So they feel like there's that crunch to try to get everything in. Right. They have to ride every single attraction, you know, though they're willing to pay for it. So, sure. Yeah. You know, let's charge for it, whatever. But then you have the other people that are annual pass holders or they're they've been to the parks plenty of times. Right. They don't need to crush, you know, rides that like that. So, you know, maybe it doesn't fit for them. But it does feel like they've they've taken this this system that worked really well for a long time. You know, it was fine. I, I'm still all about just standard queues, no fast pass system at all. I think it's way better. But that being said, I think it worked when they had it and when it was free. And especially Disney World's where you could book yours like I think it's like 60 days in advance right. of your trip, that, that makes sort sense. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So like all that made sense to me. But the minute you then take that and then start selling it a la carte and uh, you know, just yeah, like you said, they're they're throwing price points out just to see what'll stick and what needs to be revised. And you know, they're they're gonna keep tweaking it until they can get the most money out of it. But yeah, it just seems like a weird uh, system that they've implemented. And I don't know, Mark, let me ask you, you've, you've been crushing Disneyland for a long time now. Yeah. So you, you've seen fast pass and the way it's worked out. Has it not been better? Like when it's either been down or across the board, you've seen that like lines usually do move quicker when there's no system, when it's just straight up lining up for stuff. 100%. When the park first reopened and there was a lower capacity and everybody was standing in line, I'd never seen it go more efficient. Now they've they've been doing a little sneaky thing where they're making the park more full. The, the ride times are getting longer because what they're trying to do is they're trying to set up that this other thing will be value. But I'll just tell you this. Everybody who's listening has been on a road trip. What works better for you? When you're driving on the highway and you know that your stop is 100 miles and it's two lanes and everybody's just cruising at the same speed, or when you get into downtown Los Angeles and you're constantly trying to yield on, yield off, and it all comes to a stop because people can't make a decision, like one system is always going to be faster than two. So before you call me elitist saying that it should be $200 instead of $20, imagine how less how much less traffic you would have yielding in at a $200 price point. At $200, it would literally be a splurge. And that would be enough to keep standby, cruising along. And, you know, the people that have the money or somebody who's there on a once-a-time trip, good for them. They're dropping 200 bucks. They should get some value. But this chintzy $20 bump in the middle, they're just daring you to go, hey, spend a little money. You can make your problems go away. I never was able to get that much out of the max pass system because I don't show up at rope drop. So by the time I'd get there at four, six o'clock, I could see like a couple of B level attractions that I could get on in 90 minutes, but because you have to, as I understand with genie plus, you have to use said ticket before you're able to get your next one. I don't think there's a lot of value there. I really don't think there's a lot of value there. And I just think that if you want to make a quick way to get the the tides to turn on you, take something that was once seen as a bonus and turn it into a very complex system of upcharging. I mean, the boarding group, does it suck when you don't get on Rise of the Resistance and you get up at, you know, 6.55 a.m. so you can hit it at 7? Yeah, yeah, that's horrible. But removing the boarding group so that you can push people into spending money on it. And what's the price today? It's a $15 to get in the system. Then it's maybe another $12. You know, it, it's just, it's bad, bad business. And I always use my wife as a metric. When I explain these things to her in passing, 
Because, you know, I read every article. I'm, I'm deep in the minutia that is Disney Parks management. When I just tell her, like, oh, yeah, they're doing a new thing where you got to pay for this and then it costs more for other rides, her head, like, spins around, you know? And that's how most people take this information. Yeah, poor, poor Beth. But, yeah, I, I don't – the other thing, too, is there's so many caveats. There's so many, like, little rules and little things that they sneak in there. Like, oh, yeah, you could ride Rise of the Resistance – but then that's it. You can't do this or you can't do this. Yeah. And once you start doing that, so you're like, okay, you're willing to take my money, but you're not even going to make it like, oh, where it's, it's just unlimited. You know, you can go on it, you know, as many times, or you can do it once every couple of hours or something. Everything is like hidden in the lingo, like within an app and nobody's going to go looking for that stuff. So you're going to have all these families that, and I think it is very tempting. If you, if you told me like, Hey, only an extra 10 bucks to, to go on rise of resistance oh it's packed i know i can get on this ride if i kick an extra 10 bucks sure and you know i get it i understand but it's like so there's all these families that are like that mindset that logic of like yeah it's only an extra t- couple 10 bucks 15 bucks per person whatever and we're guaranteed to have this memorable moment on this attraction so it's like i understand the logic but there's just so many little th- things in between that i think are going to really uh mess up the system and once people actually go to the attraction they go oh i thought it was my turn we've seen right now already with lightning lane how you know lines are getting backed up people are going into that that lightning lane line and then they don't even have passes it's like there's a whole sub system that's just not working right now so well i'd be curious to see another thing is this i know the opening days of lightning lane out in orlando they sold out of their um, inventory, right? Like Rise of Resistance sold out. Slinky Dog sold out. Yep. By the way, I can't. I can't even believe how fun that Slinky Dog roller coaster is, man. That thing is so good. I see people riding it and videos. I'm like, I don't know. It just looks like a kids coaster, man. Oh man, is that thing fun? But what do you know about um, you know retail and the world of supply and demand? When you run out of your inventory, your price is too low. So it's almost as if what I'm saying rings true because let's say, let's say on a, a given day you have I'm just going to throw a number out you have ten thousand people that ride rise the resistance in a day ten thousand people right, and then you make something that I don't know three thousand four thousand those people can afford. Well, now you're going to get into an interesting situation where is the lightning lane that fast? You know, if it all gets bought up, and I've now paid money, but they're telling me well. Your window is 930. Of course, that's going to rub consumers wrong because you kind of feel like, so I just paid for a boarding group, which was a thing a little bit ago was free. So the next sort of topic I have and why everybody turned on Chapik is people do not like price raises. They just don't like it. Nobody wants to spend more. That is just universal across the board. Everybody would tell you that. But... Some prices going up are beneficial for us. Look at the value of your home you may own, or if you own a store or a business, you get to charge more. So it's just the way that an economy works. But when you raise prices and don't offer more value, that is another thing that's going to make people feel like the parks are headed in a different direction that they're not excited with. Let's take Disneyland, for example. They're raising the prices on our tickets. And it's funny because they opened up 430. Okay. They raised the prices a few days before 1030. That to me says when they had their board meeting, they go, okay, we missed our annual price raise hike because the park was closed in early of 2021. We'll wait six months. We'll wait six months and then we'll go to the price point we need to get to. I mean, isn't it just funny that it's almost six months to the date that it opened up? They're like, all right, we'll give these dumb dumbs their old pricing for six months, but then we got to raise it up. And, and then let's look at this. They're raising the rates on a park that's not currently offering any parades. The nighttime show offering was scaled back for a while. Now the holidays, it's going to be nightly. But there's also a handful of things that just haven't reopened. Uh, it, it, there's not the same amount of character meet and greets. I mean, there's just like, it's just the finesse. It's just the cherry on top that is missing. And 
from the way that I've ran my businesses, it's like, well, before you do a price hike or before you charge somebody for something that was free, like when I took my podcast and made it a one of the first ever paid podcasts back in 2014, Tony, you know how hard I work to show value, right? Like I wasn't just doing a podcast once a week being like, man, if you guys would pay me, I could do it Monday through Friday. I did it for free for weeks to prove to me and to prove to the audience that I could do it. And that if you paid $10 a month, you would enjoy it. And what Disney is doing is they're obviously looking at their six month plan of prices go up in six months, but they haven't really looked at what have they offered people in those six months, because there's a lot of things like the parking trams, the monorail just coming back. There's a lot of things that they sort of tried to play the pandemic hand on it, but it was clear that it was just basic economics. No, Mark, you're missing the point, which is that you should be grateful that they even opened the gates back up to you. <laughs> so you should be more than willing to, you know, to give a little bit extra. True. You know, put put a little bit more in the basket just True. for all for all Disney, just because they're they're back. You know, it's they're struggling. Just like every other family in this country, they're struggling. They're struggling hard. So they, <laughs> they open the gates. Just be grateful. You bet. You get to go back inside and go on the attractions. And what you have now is good enough. It's it's fine. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's a weird <laughs> it's a weird uh, thing. Where yeah, it's like there's so many attractions that are down. I mean, what's on the horizon? I mean, we got Mickey and Minnie Runaway Railway in Disneyland coming soon. They pushed it back to twenty three, um, and then after that, there. There is an announcement, but you know, in their defense, this was the year that we got Avengers campus the year before we got, um, you know, rise of the resistance and the galaxy's edge, uh, galaxy's edge hit on 19 rise hit on 20, uh, 21 was going to be Avengers campus. So they have stacked it up and I know that you're being funny and you know, you bring up a good point though, even in your humor, I'm excited to be back. We're all excited that it's open. And what this conversation is really about is about one move after another that has made fans question where the company is headed to. And I, and I know that you're being funny, but it's like, it does feel good to be back in. It does feel good to be there. And obviously with how crowded it is, people are willing to throw money at, at Disney in this experience. It's just interesting how many of these decisions that you would make in such a fast movement when you know that the park isn't where it was back in 2019 you know like well times have changed we you know we can't be everything that we used to be that's fine but the one part of your business not changing is the upcharging and the raising of prices so i mean that's obviously going to be where you're going to get people upset and then i think this is sort of I think, Tony, a big takeaway of why the tides are turning on JPEG. And, you know, yesterday, that um, petition to fire him, when it landed in my view, it was at like 2,000, 3,000 signatures. It's up to 30,000. Like, it got... Did you sign it yet? Did you sign it? No, I didn't sign it. Did you sign it? No. No. I just, I think it's interesting. I don't think those things work for anything. I also... I don't know that it's up for me to decide, you know, like I can question all of this, but I don't know who's making these decisions. I'm not in the boardroom. I'm not one of the, um, you know, executive directors of the corporation. I'm not one of the guards of everything. Um, and also they were saying that that, uh, letter was created by some Imagineers. The language on it looked very fan, fan written and not, not, or professional written, but nonetheless, um, I think that this is sort of the, the other big point on where the tides are turning is that it used to be perceived that Disney was this place where the customer came first and magic was made for the customer to have these world-class attractions, they have good foods, they have a beautiful landscape. I mean, the parks are just adorable and beautiful. Nobody ever denied that. But it was that next level of customer service inside of that canvas that made it amazing because everybody knows the guy or girl that you went to high school with that was just absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. 
but had the worst personality ever. Like you can only get so far on looks. And if Disney was only like a cosmetically perfect thing, but didn't have the customer service, it wouldn't be the sought after brand that it is. But let's look at things like mobile food ordering that they're pushing everybody over to. You used to just have to find a cashier, wait in a line and order food. It was that easy. Now you have to wait, number one, for an open window. So you place food in whatever the open window may be. Then you have to wait for that availability to open up. Then you say, I'm here. That's number three. And then you actually see them prepared for you because it hasn't been prepared ahead of time. It's not like they're making this food and putting a pie out on the windowsill and hoping that Yogi Bear doesn't steal it. It's literally managing people. We'll be ready to serve your dumb butt at 4.30. Okay, now 4.30, you're in your window, so kind of keep an eye on your phone because we'll tell you, are you here? Have you walked over to us? Oh, you're here now? Now we'll get somebody to start making your food. Blue light. Okay, now that we know you're for here for here, we're actually going to make it and then we'll go and give it to you. One line has been turned into four lines. Explain to me how that's good for the customer. That's good for Disney's management, as well as selling annual passes with a reservation system attached. I foolishly thought you're going to love the reservation system. You're going to love it because when you go to the park, it's going to be managed at a capacity where it's easier to get on rides, easier to get food. I thought Disney had figured out that with 65% of the people there happy and spending, they make more money than 95% of the people there gridlocked and frustrated. Boy, was I wrong. Because the park is crazy packed. And for the first time ever, it's packed with people that can't get into it. Like it's technically sold out. And people are like, no, man, that's just the keys. I mean, I bought three tickets to Disneyland on Sunday. Because I wanted to take my in-laws and my wife to Disney when they come up here for Thanksgiving. When I went in to buy a single-day ticket, the next two day, the next two weeks in October were dead sold out. And a lot of people were saying, oh, Bricky, it's just this way because uh, Halloween time, it's always busy. It'll calm down. Is it, though? Because every weekend is reserved out for the you know pass holes every weekend going up to like January. So you have this system of, we want the park full. We want to know how many people are there. We're able to gauge that. And then they've also, and I don't mean this to be like, you know, uh, offensive to anybody, but they lost a lot of employees over the closure because they don't pay a lot. And some of these jobs just aren't worth waiting around for. And they've done a very rapid rehiring of 10,000 plus employees. And some of these employees just aren't hitting it at the Disney standard. I have had some of my absolute worst ever experiences in the last two weeks. I mean, I'm talking about things that just don't make sense. Like I went through the front gate, Tony, Mm -hmm. and it was a complete speakless transaction. The cast member that let me through didn't say, hello, can I see your ticket? They just literally stared at me. I handed them my phone. They scanned my ticket. And then I just said, I can walk through now? And they just looked at me. And I know that they weren't a person that had some sort of handicap because I heard them speak to their coworker. Like, we went out to eat Saturday night and just got forgotten by the waiter and we ordered dessert and we're like, dude, we've been waiting for our dessert now for nearly an hour. And like, yeah, we just don't have the cups that the dessert comes in. We're trying to wash some. Wow. So eventually we got our desserts handed to us in coffee mugs at the Riverbell Terrace. So it's really feeling like Disney is watching their own back and not yours. And I know it's a business. I understand that, but they were so prided on their customer service and things like mobile, mobile food ordering and reservation systems and, and inexperienced staff. These are just things that don't give you that top tier of experience. 
And I know you, Mark, and I know you're not there to bus people, bus cast members and go, ha you didn't say happy Mm-mm. birthday to me when I had my pin on, or you didn't Mm-mm. do that. It's th- these are just things that you notice because you go often, you have a, a very uh, high threshold for like what the customer service level should be. And Disney is by far still the absolute best across the board in terms of customer service that you'll find anywhere. Now, that being said, when you bring up things like the mobile food ordering or the reservation system, it's technology, right? Yeah. Technology is supposed to make things better, make things more efficient. What you've done is just list that not only does it make it inefficient, it doesn't it doesn't work in a lot of different uh, applications, but both you and I were at Walt Disney World for the 50th. The mobile food ordering system was a mess. It was Garbage. unbelievable. Garbage. My sister ordered a Dole Whip and had we basically almost waited an hour so she could get a Dole Whip. Now, granted, Obviously, yes, those are crazy crowds. It's going to be, but these are things that should be already in place and be, you know, uh, not an issue because they've had this for a while now. So they're pushing everybody onto these systems and it's like, well, what is the benefit? And the only benefit I could see right now is at Walt Disney World, unfortunately, because they, I think the magic band system is really nice and it does work. I was very impressed with magic band and its efficiency. Yeah, but it's, uh, it's yeah, it's just bizarre how like these things that are supposed to be making things more efficient and faster for everybody, not just for us, but the cast members as well, right? Like they're you know help them in the, doing their jobs, and it's kind of the opposite. And I don't think either of us is the point of the show is obviously not to rag on the company and the parks and everything because we do love it. It's yeah. this is what you know this is why we're here is because we love being there. But lately, it just seems with all of these these things that are being implemented. It's not up to snuff. Like it's not up to par with what you would come to expect with that level of customer service. And this is the thing, you know, I wanted to have a conversation where we broke down, like how did, how did it get to this moment? You know, park's been open for six months and you know, there's always going to be a certain sect of the Disney audience that anything that you say bad is just bad. Like you're supposed to always be positive. And I don't really believe in that. Like I want you to trust my opinion when I tell you brother, I had the most amazing day at the park today, or this is the best ride ever, or this is the best snack. I want you to trust all of my my Disney tears and my Disney smiles because I'll tell you about the things that I don't think that are being ran properly. So let's summarize this conversation on quote unquote, how the magic died, why there's people signing a petition and why there's a lot of upset guests. You have an overall lack of creativity. Since the parks have reopened, they haven't really reimagined anything that spectacular. I mean, Marius Nights, they announced it on a Friday, sold tickets on a Monday, and the description for everything was, and so much more. You know, like, you're Disney. You, you've you written some of the best, most compelling stories that will break your heart, which is why I don't watch your movies. You couldn't get one of those people to write a script about a Christmas party at Disneyland? I mean... I don't know. I'm pretty stoked for Tomorrowland Marius Nights. It sounds... <laughs> off the chain buzz Lightyear, so, one of my favorite holiday themes but you have an overall lack of creativity and you know a lot of people saw enchanted and harmonious the overall review for most disney fans are is that it's lacking sort of the disney storytelling we saw people that were working on enchanted pushing the blame back on chapek saying that he wanted it to be about the films uh, and that gets into an interesting situation where you have non-creative people making creative decision-making, but how the magic died, I will summarize it this way. You have an overall sense of lack of creativity. Many of the perks that people used to have have been removed or rearranged for pricing. There is now an upcharge, whatever you used to pay for something it now costs more and they have fit in upcharging in places where you didn't spend any money and two to our last little tidbit that we talked about you are treated like a widget you are now part of an algorithm not like a person can you go to the park and still have a good time absolutely but for a company that many people that are listening to this conversation put thousands of dollars into every year this is the climate You go to a party, 
you catch the buzz of the party. Was it a fun birthday party? Was it an uptight wedding? Was it the type of play the party you never wanted the night to end? Was it a was it like kind of weird because his in-laws hate her? You know, like you just you go into a room, you feel the energy. This is the energy that I think people are feeling. And I think what we've tried to do today is sort of break down these are the different pain points that just keep pushing people in the other direction. And this is what I hate about today's conversation. I hate outrage media. I hate people that play on what's going to make you mad to keep you watching, to keep you viewing. Like, I don't even want to do this episode, but it feels highly irresponsible to not talk about what you're hearing so many Disney fans of different ages, different economic backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds. This is what that's the buzz that you hear people talking about. And I wouldn't be good at my job if I didn't at least try to address this in an intelligent manner. These are the different steps. And if you go back to the beginning of this episode, I started it with, it's a little early to tell the guy's been given a bad hand, but so far these are the four things that people have said that gets to my fifth conclusion of why people feel the magic has died. Cause it's almost just like one headline after another where they're just daring you to come back and spend more. When, uh, when you were going to bring me on, I was so worried. I was like, well, we have nothing to talk about. There's nothing going on. <laughs> <laughs> no, we had so much. Yeah. And it, unfortunately, a lot of it's kind of negative right now, but that is unfortunately that the consensus is everybody across the board is just like kind of at this moment where we're seeing things are going, you know, not the Disney way and it's not looking good, but I wanted to ask you this. Do you think, cause you mentioned how, like there's a kind of a, a lack of creativity right now. And I felt both of us truly saw that at the Walt Disney world 50th anniversary, especially with the night shows. We were both at a uh, harmonious preview. Yep. We both were, you know, we kind of, I think we both looked at each other afterwards and we were like, Oh, that's what it was. Huh? And, but I, and we watched but, that real quick, Tony, you and I were there along with a lot of YouTube people mm-hmm. that study the parks that, I mean, let's be honest. Have my YouTube friends been critical of the parks in the past? Yes. But have they also all contributed to selling thousands of tickets and getting people to go more because of FOMO? Absolutely. Like these are people that would have loved for Harmonious to have been the biggest, best thing that they could have made videos about and broke down like secrets to Harmonious. Why Harmonious is so special. Everybody was like, I don't know, man. But my question to you is, do you think because we are that level of super fan that the general audience, the general Disney population mm. that goes and digests this stuff, mm. do you think they're fine with it? Because I'll tell you what happened after Harmonious. My sister and I took our bus back to our, our resort. We were sitting next to two older women on scooters, and the, one of them was complaining that she overheard people in the crowd saying they hated the show. And she was so upset. She could not fathom how anybody could hate that show. What's wrong with you? Don't you have a heart? Don't you enjoy the the Disney movies and all this stuff? And there was a part of me that wanted to say something that was just good. wanted to just blurt out. I thought it sucked, but I, I maintained a citizen of Disneyland. Good. I kept to myself. Good. But I was just curious because I'm like, if these women, and then it seemed like everybody else in the bus too was kind of like, yeah, I don't, I don't know how anybody could dislike that. Where me and my sister kind of kept it to ourselves, but we were like, is it just because we're at that level of super fan that we are, you know, we've just, we've been to the park that much now where we, right. we have a different feel for it. We have right. different vibes that we're looking for. We're different things that we enjoy the the movies. We've seen them here and there, but it's not our, our, our identity. Do you think that the general population that doesn't go on the blogs, that doesn't go to YouTube, do you think they're okay with the way things are right now? I don't know. It's so hard to say. That's such a great question because there's really three camps of Disney fans. There's the people that they can do no wrong and everything they do is awesome. And if you complain, then you're ungrateful and you take theme parks for granted. And, you know, you're just, you're a jerk if you don't love it all. And then there's the other far end of that, the people that are like, they can't do anything right. They just love to complain. They love to be negative. And then in the middle somewhere is where the truth lies. 
right? And I could justify Harmonious, its barges and the, you know, the four tacos and the onion ring if the show made sense. I don't know, man. I just, I feel like my dad would look at it and be like, yeah, that's cool. You know, he could care less about any of this. Yeah, that's cool. He he, he would just be a, a guy on vacation. He would just be a regular guy on vacation that would just be like, yeah, you know, whatever. But when he saw Disneyland Forever, when he was here during the 60th anniversary, and he saw people around him, like, crying and getting emotional, I think it really struck him, you know? Like, I think it made my dad stop and think, like, wow, 60 years ago, this was an orange grove, and this guy turned this into, like, this amazing theme park that I'm getting to enjoy with my my son that I haven't always had a best relationship with and his wife in California, a state that I never thought I'd get to visit that is now my son's backyard. Like, I just, I want to think the people that just like the music and songs are like, yeah, it's cool. But I think if they were given a better experience that gave them that Disney gut punch, I think that would do it better. So I think people do enjoy it but also, when you don't have like an informed mind on content, you don't know what you're missing, right? Like, how many people went and watched Dune this weekend? Or like, that's the ending. What's you know, like, that's a film that's about the subtleties. Most people probably didn't get the subtle charm of it, you know. So, I, I think it's kind of hard once you've spent your life being a student of entertainment of these parks. It's kind of hard to go back and reverse and wonder what you know, the average Joe thinks. Yeah, it's, uh, I understand it's a balancing act at all times. Yeah. You're going to have to try to make content that's going to please everybody. But at the end of the day, it's like you're saying, when you're missing that emotional gut punch, when you're, when you don't have that thing that gives you that feeling inside and you're just like, oh yeah, this is just a Spotify playlist. It kind of, it's, it's disheartening in a way, because you know, for, again, we've mentioned this already, a lot of people, this is their first and only trip, or yeah. this is, this is, you know, they're there to see something that's going to, you know, impact their, their life. You know, they're going to remember this thing. And when you, you have a show that just doesn't really elicit that kind of response, it's, it's just kind of a bummer. So I don't know where the disconnect is, but going back to our the beginning, beginning of our conversation, you just, you can see it openly with, you know with uh, the, the current CEO situation and the co- corporate structure. And it does seem a little bit more Darth Vader right now. He's more yeah. machine than man, Mark. Yeah. And I, you know, it's just one of those tough things where, you know, they're coming out of a pandemic, which is just, you know, historically unknown times. Uh, but I just think that, you know, over the last six months, a lot of people have seen a lot of, a lot of things that fans just don't enjoy. I mean, fans are just not going to be ever fan or fans are not going to be fans of cutting back of charging for things. They didn't have to charge for, you know, being part of an algorithm, you know, what's convenient for the corporation, not what's convenient for you. And just an overall like vibe on the magic. Um, I think that's how it got to where it's at. I, I hope that Disney can kind of pull it around And, you know, create some sort of value or sort of roll out something that can kind of get the the conversation and focus going in another way. Like, I'm interested about what their PR concerns about where things are going. I mean, and obviously, you know, the parks are still full. People are still spending money. So maybe they don't care. But I would like to say I don't mobile order anymore. I eat most of my food outside of the park because I found it just to be a, a, a disaster. Um, I don't mobile order. I'm not wasting my time on dinner reservations. We didn't buy my wife a, a, a key because we just didn't think we'd get value out of it. Like, I'm not going to valet park at the hotel anymore. I think $50 is is crazy. The $35 was okay, but the 50 bucks is like, it's pretty wild. Um, so, you know, vote with your dollar. And whenever I get asked to do the Disney surveys, I always really give it back to them. And did you order any food today? No, I did not. Would you like to tell us why? Yeah, because I think food should be something fun that I do at the theme park, not managing out my day like a day at work where I have phone calls and recording sessions all aligned. But let's do this, Tony. Um, With the last little bit of time we have left, let's kind of let this down 
we've kind of broken down all of these things, talked about it, not a fun episode to do, but the one that I feel like is the responsible conversation to have. Let's both end with just like a fun tell of our Walt Disney World epic week that we spent out in Orlando. If you look back on your trip, what was the uh, the highlight of your trip? That would absolutely have to be the VIP tour which <laughs> you were on. And thanks to our, our dear friend, Kevin, and his wife, Annie. And, you know, we were with a group of our, our very good friends. And for for me, especially because I, um, you were already there. You were kind of already in the thick of it. My, I go a lot. I frequent the parks a lot with my sister. She's way more of a Disney World person. Um, I've always been more Disneyland guy. Right. She crushes Disney World. But so usually anytime I go out there, she comes with me and we'll, we'll go and we'll hit the parks. We got in um, late, I think that Sunday afternoon. Um, I think you guys had started the tour at two. We were getting to our resort at like probably around four. And just the the level of uh, customer service there, I think uh, we actually had the VIP tour guide who was phenomenal, actually came and picked us up while you guys were all having lunch. And it was almost like we got our own mini VIP tour while you guys were having lunch. But the rest of that day was just like one thing after another of like, oh my God, I can't believe we're seeing this or, oh my God, yeah. I can't believe we're doing this. So it was, it was like a culmination of, and I was like, and I told my sister at the end of the day, when we were all watching fireworks, I was like, this is our first day. I was like, we have a whole week left. Like, I know. We haven't even, and we've, we, we hit like, I think we hit three parks that day. I think you guys had done, you know, the four or maybe we did like two, but I was like, yeah, we've like, we've been crushing the parks, but in the ultimate, you know, uh, fan mode where we just got to see everything that you would want to see that you don't get to see on an everyday trip. So it was tremendous. The the rides, you know, getting on cutting in line, that, that, that stuff is secondary for me. It was just getting to, to see all the stuff that you don't get to see and all the, the, the great stories that the VIP tour guide had. I don't think there's anything that's gotta be easily top three Disney moments in my life, but how about you, Mark? Don't tell me it was Everest. Just, <laughs> My right, my 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 one and done journey on Expedition Everest. Yeah, um, I think I mean it was a week of of highlights, both personally and professionally. Like, I think what it did for me as a Disney content creator, which is such a weird thing to be, but living in the Disney bubble for seven days, not having to worry about doing my other job as a podcaster. Living in that Disney bubble for seven days and just focusing on filming, editing, and going live. It was just like this boot camp that I think made me a better content creator. Like I feel like the vlogs out there found a rhythm. I found my template. I found my voice. I feel like I'm now doing something different than any of my peers. I feel like people are finding my content and being like, whoa, this guy's doing something that I haven't seen before. And so professionally, it was just like uh a high to hit that moment and to hit that stride. And so many people to thank for that happening. Um, I was just a small, small piece in all this power that came together to make that happen. But as a person, I think getting to stand in front of spaceship earth for the first time, uh, cause it's just, it's just one of those icons that I'd seen it my whole life. I always wondered what was inside of it. I didn't quite understand Epcot and how it worked. Um, you know, I had been to the Magic Kingdom, albeit 25 years before. It was really, really magical, you know, finally getting to see Epcot. And I think if I can add a little bit on to what was my favorite, I think my biggest surprise was this, Tony. Because Disneyland has such a lack of land and it's constantly evolving, which is one of the things I love about it. I always say I love that Sim City factor of it. Because Disneyland is a constant influx of changing. And Walt Disney World moves at a different pace. Getting to experience so much vintage Disneyland at Walt Disney World, Carousel of Progress, People Mover, Country Bear Jamboree. You know, getting to experience these things that were before my time as a Disneylander, that was really special. But the most special part of it all is I had a very unique advantage over so many people. You go to Disneyland 600 times. You know every path. You know every fun fact about how Disneyland works, how it runs, how it buzzes. You know that as your reality. And then you set foot into Walt Disney World. 
I had the rare opportunity to experience it like Walt would have, right? Like, I know the shortcomings of Disneyland. I know that park so well that getting to see how they tried to improve on it, I could walk through and be like, I know why they did this. I know why the hub's bigger. I know why that's taller. I know why that's over there instead of over there. Like getting to experience it as we've got a second opportunity to redo this. What are we going to change? And being smart enough and experienced enough to observe that and feel that in real time. Our good friend Alex said, do you think that this week has been so emotional for you? Because you know you're getting to experience things in a way that Walt never did but would have dreamed to. And I said, man, there's no guessing anymore why you and I are such good friends because that's exactly what's going on in my head. And I felt too embarrassed to verbalize that because who am I to compare myself to Walt Disney? But I have walked in the man's shoes. So to kind of understand, you know, a fraction of what his experience would be like, that's what just kept those tears coming out, man. And we've had plenty of conversations before this trip. And I think I've been egging you on, like, you got to go out to Disney World. You got to check it out. You got to do it. So by you going and then just to see the the increase of everything, the momentum that you've gotten off of that trip has been great. And also, too, for me, again, like getting to hang out with buds, but especially with you, I got to see you go on a couple of attractions for the first time. We did carousel of progress. I got to, I got to physically, I got to physically watch Mark. I was just mostly watching Mark, like the whole show. So we would do, I think we did carousel of progress living with the land he had never done before. Um, We had to, we had to kind of bully you onto spaceship earth. And then once we got you onto spaceship earth, that was when we had our group. And because you were kind of like, I feel like you were a little apprehensive on to do some things because I know you, you, you know, obviously there's still a lot you haven't even done yet. So it's like, but I know it was so good seeing you like once you got in there, uh, it was fantastic. So getting to, to experience you experiencing these things for the first time was, was such a delight to me. Oh, it, it was dude, great. If anybody here that has made it this deep in this conversation, think this was an episode of just complaining and whining, whatever. But I am such a fanatic about these parks that I didn't want to ride Spaceship Earth because I didn't want to stop staring at it. And I know that's like when you have your kid on Christmas morning, you're like, buddy, you just opened up the batteries. Wait till you open up the next thing. That's where the remote control car is. Like, I realize how dumb that sounds, but I was just finally getting to stand someplace that I had always dreamed about. And then to go inside of Spaceship Earth. And see that it's a dark ride made for smart people. It just, like, the fact that the storytelling in Spaceship Earth starts out really slow. Because you're going around a sphere. And a sphere is going to be bigger at the bottom than it is at the top. Because you really go in probably, like, midway through because you're not starting in the basement. So it starts out really slow. Just like it did in the real world. And then... The history of society, it gets faster and faster and faster. And then you realize it's because our corkscrew is getting tighter and tighter and tighter. Like it's absolute genius to create that timeline of progress inside the shape of planet Earth. Like it it blows my mind that somebody's like, you know what we could do? Because it's like for all the times that somebody says something really smart and goes, yeah, who cares about that? That's dumb. Where are we going to put the cartoon characters? Like, it just was phenomenal. Tony, a very interesting and weird 75th episode for your first appearance. Probably going to be a very unpopular episode. Welcome to my nightmare. Yeah, it's fine. I'm here for it. I will, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go along with with any critiques. I, I'm a flawed Disney individual, just as I'm sure most of you are, but... When all things are said and done, I love the parks. I I live uh, you know just outside of Chicago, so I'm right in the middle. When I go fly out, you know it's always you know something that I look forward to. When I come home, all I can do is dream about the next trip. So it's it's a passion, it's a love, and I think that's why everybody that listens 
we're on the same page because at the end of the day, it is just a love and infatuation with these parks. And before we say goodbye to everybody on the free version of today's episode, thank you so much for listening or watching us over on YouTube. I'm going to say this. I'm rooting for Bob Chapek. I hope he ends up becoming an amazing leader. I hope he makes it to 25th. I hope that all this like penny pinching and, and number crunching is just like, hey, man, if I can just keep the ship together, I know at 23, the money will come back to flowing and I can announce a bunch of big projects. Like I'm really, really rooting for the guy uh, because it would be weird to sit around and root for somebody to fail that is at the, the helm of something I love so much. That's why I'm encouraging everybody to use the new hashtag, pray for Bob Chapek. All right, everybody, till the next time we see you, which will be next Wednesday when Disneyland for Designers returns for episode 76. Thank you so much for showing up and being part of this conversation. And, you know, I just thought it would be a good time to break down how do we get to this moment? How are people feeling? And I'm going to say, if you love something, it's always all right. Uh, to complain about it as long as that complaining is done in like a healthy, non-abusive manner. And when you're trying to weigh out, like, how do we get to this moment? How do we resolve this moment? Is there a fix there? Yes, there is. I'm hoping they do the right thing. All right. Right now, we're going to start up our bonus content for Club 1313 members. Thank you so much for making all of this possible. And we're going to have a secondary conversation for those folks. If you're listening for free and you'd want to be a part of that or be a part of our amazing community, consider going to club1313.com where you can become part of our Discord and our club meetups and whatever you want to have another bunch of psychos that are always ready to talk about Disney like you are. Club 1313 is your home. Thank you so much for being a part of episode 75. We'll see you back here again next week with another episode. And until then, I'll see you with some more videos.